Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to another episode of the Addy Hour, our first episode of 2022. I'm honored and grateful to be able to continue in these conversations with all of you and to be able to engage with a lot of thought leaders on really important topics which is definitely the case as well. Before we jump in, just want to step in or just start out and say, you know, how encouraged I've been the last few weeks and few months, honestly, to have so many conversations with so many of you who've shared how you've been using these podcasts as resources um, for yourselves, for family members, for friends who've had questions about different aspects of mental health, how that intersects with aspects of our faith and culture, race and social justice. So it's been really been encouraging to me and also um, a boost to be able to keep these conversations as we engage in a lot of these important topics. And as I mentioned, that will definitely be the case today. I'm really excited and honored to host Dr. Mays Ahmad on a very important topic and timely topic of trauma-informed teaching and learning. So by way of introduction, Dr. Mays Ahmad is someone who is an expert in this area. She received her undergraduate training at the University of Michigan, Dearborn, and then went on to PhD studies in cellular and clinical neurobiology at Wayne State University. Dr. Ahmad was on the faculty at Pima Community College for many years, has recently joined the faculty and is teaching at Connecticut College at the moment. And Dr. Ahmad's research really focuses on stress, self-awareness, advocacy, and classroom community, and how these aspects impact student learning and success. She's someone who is a nationally recognized leader in trauma-informed teaching and learning, and she works with faculty all over the country and in her specific institutions across disciplines to really promote inclusive, equitable, and contextual education, which is all rooted in research. So Dr. Amal is someone that I definitely look up to, especially with how she continues to put mental health as a top priority and is really helping us within the education uh, realms to systematically support education, the education of the whole student. So I'm grateful to be able to welcome Dr. Mays Ahmad to the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and thank you for your kind introduction. Of course, it's a pleasure and an honor in, in so many ways. Uh, and again, you know, as we're leading things off, starting out the year for many who are involved in education, you know, primary and secondary education, college education, this is uh, the start again of a new semester or starting after the holiday break. Um, so before we you know, get into the topic at hand, just want to check in with you as we're accustomed to do and see how you are 
navigating day to day at this point in time as we get ready for another semester. Thank you for asking. Um, surprisingly, I've been um, kind of at peace mm. with whatever is happening and the way it's happening. And, and um, I say surprisingly because I, I recognize that I have um, certain position and certain power to advocate for change. And sometimes I feel like I'm just hitting a wall. Um, and so I would say the recent months, I've been surprised to see how much I'm just sitting in the discomfort and learning from it and even finding peace. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's really refreshing to hear in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. I mean, that's a topic I think a lot of us talk about often, especially on our campuses, you know, encouraging our students to be willing to sit in the discomfort. So to hear you as a leader um, and practitioner in a sense, who is saying the same thing, I think also goes a long way. Um, but actually it makes, it makes me think also it's a process. I mean, the way you just described that, even being surprised. So even though you teach it in a sense, not something that you necessarily jumped into right away. I mean, would that be an accurate? Stephen? Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I was, um, I talked to with my students and colleagues about, you know, the cortisol spike and how mm -hmm. to be careful. And yet, as I talk with them about it, I think, oh, and my cortisol spike. So I know that it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And so to watch myself lean in, I suppose, or sit in the discomfort and, and, and to just allow it to teach me mm. I suppose mm. is surprising mm. yeah mm. now I imagine not that you haven't had that um, empathy with your students before and that uh, authenticity but I imagine that might even take it to a whole another level um, just what you yeah. described too in terms of how you talk about your own experience with them and now that you, again that you haven't talked about that experience in the past before but this sounds like it's even mm. in a different way in the current moment as well yeah, yeah. I, um, as you mentioned, I, you know, mental health is something that is, you know, I advocate for, I care mm -hmm. deeply, something that is, um, that is very much personal. Mm -hmm. And I see it the moral imperative, there is the human rights issue. And a few years ago, I was working with a, with a family member who was dealing with that. And I, mm -hmm. The way it was very much tough love. You find you you come across a challenge, tough love. You you go through it. You go through the fire. You now, you know, by the grace of God, it, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose it, whether it did or not, who knows? And so that's the framework that I was using with that family member. And and the person turned to me and said, Mace, tough love is not working. Mm. It doesn't work. And it was such a profound, humbling moment. Almost gave me an opportunity to pause and say, that's right. Mm. Tough love is tough and it's not always kind. And and so um yeah, those opportunities those those moments of contradiction or mm. 
cracks or struggle or, or, or challenges, they, they also present us with opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great way to say it. And I mean, that sounds like growth in the moment as well to be able at that mm-hmm. moment to pause and say, okay, let me actually hear what you're saying and not just go into my standard practice so mm-hmm, to speak mm-hmm. and i think that's such a such a huge component and it reminds me of the work that you're you're doing in this space already on so many levels yeah in yeah. that regard i also wanted to ask you know for those who might not be as familiar or familiar at all with trauma informed teaching and learning if you could just define that um, for our listeners as a, as a starting point yeah absolutely so i like to start with definitions that way we're on the same page so when um so i'm going to take the word trauma and we're talking about in this case psychological trauma and much like physical trauma something happens to somebody and there is a reaction so whereas a physical trauma perhaps i trip I trip on a nail, I injure myself, there's a reaction internally in a psychological trauma. An event happens that I perceive, and I perceive it in a way, when I say I, I say, I mean my nervous system, my body, I perceive it in a way that is, that's shocking. It is, it is um, overwhelming, it is threatening. And as a result, our bodies, our brains are gonna try to protect us. So there is a series of reactions that will happen in order to deal with that. So what does that mean? So for instance, um, if I am on my way to work and I I witness or I myself um, are involved in a car accident, our body knows danger, and sometimes it can't necessarily distinguish between imminent and and something that happened and passed. And it will go into a this defensive mechanism of fight or flight, which is very physiological, and it will stay in that. And so, even though the event has passed, the body hasn't quite metabolized that event. So then in a trauma-informed education, what that means that I, the educator, I have that awareness that trauma is pervasive. I mean, it impacts us, it impacts how we show up, it impacts how much attention and energy we can pay towards, for example, solving a math problem. So I, I, as the educator, I have that awareness. And I also have that awareness that there are things I can do in my classroom that can help the student feel safe, connected, empowered. Those are all really powerful ingredients to not necessarily heal completely from trauma, but enables us to get a a new start, Mm. if you will. That's a really helpful definition and so many layers to it as well. I mean, from the neuroscience side of things to the awareness in the classroom, to the practices mm-hmm. as well. And it seems that there are some clear neuroscience tie-ins with your background as a neuroscientist. Um, so I did want to come back to the awareness and practical pieces too. But before that, just wanted to hear about how you got into the work and whether that was through neuroscience or through other means or a combination. Like how, how did this 
think there are many in neuroscience who may not necessarily be as attentive to this or thinking about it on a daily basis. I think it was a combination. I mean, I always mm. say I am subject number one. Mm. And I, um, I am a refugee. I am, I grew up in a country that um, was bombed. Mm. I came to the country that bombed mm. my home. Um, I experienced death at an early age. Mm. Um, I grew up in a war-torn country. Now, we didn't have the language uh, or the luxury to talk about those feelings. So in undergrad, I was, as a, as a philosophy major, I was really fascinated by why we <clears throat> respond certain ways, why we do what we do, and just, just what, what makes us who we are. Then mm-hmm. in, in, in graduate school as a neuroscience student, we really didn't learn about trauma or mm-hmm. emotion. In fact, what I often heard was that I'm too emotional. Wow. or I am a mental. And I remember thinking if I could just do something about my emotions, I would be a brilliant scientist. So those are the, and, and I still see those nuanced messages in the academy that emotions and, and, and thinking are, are not compatible or emotions are the antithesis of all all the while I was experiencing trauma and re-trauma, the, the invasion of the Iraq war of Iraq, my family is there. And what was happening is that it was impacting how I showed up to classes, mm-hmm. to how I showed up to myself. But I had no idea. I was even though ironically I was a neuroscience student, I was not connecting the dots. And I would catch myself saying, what's wrong with me? Did I lose my intelligence? Maybe I'm lazy. Maybe this, maybe that. Not making connections to what's happening in life. It wasn't really until I became a teacher in the classroom and I would catch my students experiencing similar things. Okay, they were not... um, in a war-torn country, but they were DACA students. They were uh, first-generation students. They were displaced somehow. And these mm-hmm. similar patterns, and I started having those aha moments that how could they possibly show up holistically, mm-hmm. fully engage um, with the complexity of learning and not bring everything else with them. Mm. So I began really my work um, as a way to help empower them to to pause. Mm. Look, if you failed an exam, it doesn't say anything about your intelligence and brilliance. And it's just that at this moment, you have so much going on. Mm-hmm. And, and that impacts how you show up. And so I started seeing the impact on students, on students' sense of self. Mm. 
And in, in that process, I feel that it has offered me some healing myself. Mm-hmm. I started looking back and, and remembering key moments in my mm-hmm. graduate and I'm thinking that, oh, having empathy for the, 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 the traumatized student um, who was stuck. Yeah. That's so really sorry, powerful. that's a, your question. Well, that's a great answer too. I mean, the, the personal component is the way it helps you really tune in. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if that was, if it felt, what's the right word? Disenchanting at the beginning, because in some ways hearing you talk, I'm thinking about the research that was already going on in terms of the effects of trauma, but how that mm-hmm. likely was not incorporating any of that into the classroom. So, I mean, you know, as a neuroscientist, part of me thinks it could be very frustrating to see all this work being done elsewhere, but not applied in a key situation where it needs to be. But I wonder, I mean, did you feel like you were building something from the ground up in terms of awareness? Or were there any others who were, I mean, it didn't sound like there were many who were paying attention to it in this setting at all. Yeah. I'm just wondering what your experience was like as you were trying to bring this to the forefront. I think what was happening, I was... um... I was doing it quietly with my mm. students okay. because of experience and because of my experience and emotions. And, and I think generally speaking in the scientific community, it's been my experience that we don't, we don't want to deal with emotions. They're sticky there. And so I was doing it um, quietly doing the research quietly with my students. And whenever I would speak about it at conferences or, I, I would see discomfort, mm-hmm. right? Discomfort as it's not it's not how we were trained, a lot of a lot of scientists. And so, um, but I did find um support from the K through 12. So the mm-hmm. K through 12 were doing trauma-informed before before it became something in higher education and it was yes you are absolutely right it was frustrating because I was I I had the students experiences I had my own experiences but also there was a science that was that was and is telling us that wait a second learning doesn't work in a vacuum and so frustrating because I would go to conferences read articles and I think why are we not talking about this? Um, I remember attending a conference in uh, July of 2017, and the conference had many tracks, active learning, metacognition, this and that and the other, and there was not a single, and it was about STEM, and there was not a single, not a single session about what's going on with DACA students, right? Now, for me, I was working close with many of them, and I and I could see that it was that the socio-political situation was impacting how they show up. And so for me to just go and say active learning, metacognition, this and that and the other, it's 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 not. It doesn't take the whole context into account. There was serious trauma going on. So yes, frustrating, but 
when you're working with students and you see how they respond and how they give back, mm. it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Definitely in a lot of ways. And I'm sure that you've gotten that feedback from students mm. over the years and mm-hmm. then just seeing, I mean, I'm thinking also just as you described the empowerment from that as well, just even that shift about what you talked about earlier with the, the grades, not what's wrong with me, but being able to actually think back about what happened to me and how is that impacting how I'm moving forward. I mean, there's also a sense of, of removal uh-huh. of blame in a sense and just having yeah. empowerment to move forward. So, I mean, on that note, what are some of the, what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from, from students and learners as you've been engaged in this work and really bringing it to the forefront? Yeah, so one that has been, um, I think, powerful for me and also hearing from students. Um, so, so Dr. Addy, you're a neuroscientist and you, um, you, you do this work. We, we know that there are mechanisms that are turned on or off when someone undergoes trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, there's research that shows that there's actually the, the vestibular system is impacted and the vestibular system if you if it, it it can impact our sense of being in space, our sense of mm-hmm. agency, mm-hmm. sense of bond. So I I've been fascinated with that literature, and also thinking about when someone experiences trauma, our sense of control or helplessness feels shattered. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to cultivate cultivate a space or an environment where someone feels they have choices, Mm -hmm. options, agencies. This has been really, in terms of feedback from students, this has been one feedback, I would say even more than when they talk about safety, the, Mm -hmm. the sense I have a say, I have agency, seems to be really powerful Mm -hmm. in terms of helping students feel that there is a way out. Mm-hmm. There is a way, rather. Mm-hmm. And so important. And it's, it's helpful to hear what has been kind of a, a mm-hmm. salient piece for the students from their perspective as well. On that note, yeah. if we can shift a little bit to kind of give people some of the practical, I'm curious if you can share how you encourage people to bring that awareness into the classroom as well. Because I mean, I think that's underlying a lot of what you've talked about that the awareness just hadn't been there. Maybe it had been, it had been in K through 12, it had been in other pockets, but not in the classroom yeah. setting where there's really the stigma of there's something that's wrong with you and it's more about deficits mm-hmm. that you have as opposed to what happened to you. How do you, how do you shift or how have you been shifting that? So I've been encouraging people to read, learn, listen about trauma, mm. including intergenerational trauma. And my hope there is to you become the subject you read or hear something and you think i experienced that and this i experienced that um can then help bring not just awareness about me but about what who else is experiencing that and you know so i tell my colleagues i tell family members and friends you know, if you're doing the laundry in the background, just have something playing to, so you could learn about trauma, learning about the body. Why does it? 
And the reason for that is not just I have awareness about what happens in the body. It's not, it's not an academic endeavor, but it's really to help us then recognize and have the self-awareness when we're triggered, when we, what's going on, what can we learn from, from that? And then, and then I say, what else, what do you think is happening with the students? You know, there, there, there's, there are things in the background, just like there are things in the background for you. So I start with that. I've been really intentional to say, learn about this. It's empowering. You know, we tell students knowledge is power, knowledge is empowering, and knowledge can also be healing because you or listen and you think for me, certainly like, oh, wait, there's nothing wrong with my brain. It was just stuck because of the event. And then um, I also encourage colleagues to, on the one hand, I say, how would you like to be treated if you were the student in that class? And more so, I say, talk with your students. How do they want to be treated? Sometimes, a lot of times, we make assumptions that mm -hmm. the students know that we care about them, we have their back. But when things get tough, the brain will go into this constricted, narrow, and, 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 and it may not be able to remember. So let the students know that. I'm so excited you're in this class. We're on a journey together. I have your back. I am invested in your success. Mm -hmm. repeat, repeat that so it can become part of the DNA makeup of the class. And then um, learn about the students. Learn about the human beings who are... Um, and, and learn in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. Perhaps a survey, perhaps email, perhaps asking them to come and meet with you. Um, learning about them will then enable, I could give you a list of do's and don'ts and you know I have suggestion to offer. And at the same time, it can't be a one size that fits all because yeah. context is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. And it makes me think about even as, you know, we were going through your introduction, just the way that you are seeking to educate the whole student. So I mm -hmm. love the framework of really learning about them as well. Because it seems like also sometimes there's a disconnect there between maybe what an instructor's feel that they're doing or want to do versus what students perceive. Because I can imagine Absolutely. situations where instructors may say, just say things like, oh, we care about how you're doing and we care about your success, but it's all within the framework of the academic achievement, as mm -hmm. opposed to caring about you as a person. And you know, and, you know just mm -hmm. to share, I mean, this is all anecdotal, not, not um, evidence-based per se, but just the number of students who share with me in situations where we've talked about their feelings with everything that's happened over the last few years and students that I've never had any professor actually create that space to hear how I feel about the situation or give a space to talk about. So it makes me think about your comments about asking how they're doing. Whereas as an instructor, an instructor may feel, well, I gave those opportunities by saying that I was invested in them, but it's a disconnect yeah. between saying yeah. it and actually taking a pause to invest 
and hear the feedback. So again, I'm, I'm sure oh, there's a lot you could elaborate on that from, a, from the work that you've done, but this is something I've noticed, you know, just as engaging with undergraduates and graduate students over the years. Yeah, and it's, it is foreign. I remember one time I asked my student, how's your heart? And it was, what? what? Physiologically, what, what do you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had, to, I had to explain to them what I mean by that and, um, and why it's so important to do that checking in. And, and I started like having a variety of, of ways of approaching it. Sometimes asking the question, how are you, is so tough. I know that there are days when you ask me that question, it's overwhelming. I don't know how to. And so um, I started, for example, saying, how bad is this Monday? Mm. Or using emojis. And, And actually, a student recommended emojis. And, but the point is, it's modeling that you care enough to allocate the time, just like you did at the beginning of this conversation, you know, asking where I am, how I am, and modeling and then pausing to, to, um, to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah. so important. I also appreciate the, uh, the sensitivity that you mentioned in terms of the, how are you and how difficult that can be at times. And mm-hmm. I've noticed sometimes people also will give space to say, well, it's fine if you don't want to answer, but I want to at least make that option available. Cause even thinking, you know, back to the last few years with several of my students of color in particular, I mean, long before mm-hmm. the unfortunate situation with George Floyd, but just them often feeling like they didn't have the space for anyone to actually check in and see how they were when these Mm -hmm. atrocities were happening. So even if they didn't want to share, just to know that, okay, someone actually noticed and took the time, then maybe I can come back to that later. At least they felt seen in that Mm -hmm. moment as well. And so again, I mean, it just seems like so many of the things that you're trying to make sure that those really come to the forefront and there is that space as well, which I think is critically important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So I know you mentioned not necessarily giving all the practicals is not cookie cutter, even as you mentioned from your tough love situation, but are there general kind of practical components that you do like to mention um, to people who are in classroom settings about what are some of the practices once you have that awareness to really kind of empower the students and make sure that it's, it's at the forefront and, and integrated? So, um, so let's start with options and choices, voice and choice. It's really important for reminding students that they have agency, that they have a sense of self. So how does, how would this work? So I teach a physiology class and in a physiology class, I assign an art, assign a research project and I pick the topic. And it occurred to me a few years ago, why am I limiting the topic? Why, if it's about what they are excited about, and what they feel connected, why don't I offer a series of suggestions and then say, and if you want to come up with your own research question, work with me, we will. And what I saw when that happened, when I did that, is there was more investment in the project because now it's like, now I have this kidney pain that is like 
comes and goes, I want to research that versus the cookie cutter um, one size fits all question. Um, so that that's one. The other thing is I have um, flexibility is so important. And so flexibility would be we're in a pandemic. I mean, I, I am I am so proud of the students for just showing up. It's overwhelming. We feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. Sometimes it's hard to get out of bed mm-hmm. and yet they show up and they and so we want to have positive reinforcement. So every class, I make it a point to give positive reinforcement to the whole class. Oh, you're here. I'm so excited. Today I had a class and all the students were there. I thought I was I was in seven heaven. I thought so that positive reinforcement matters. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, let the students know that life happens. And when life happens and you fell asleep and you couldn't do the paper on time because you were also, I don't know, helping your father or something, come see me. We will work something out. There is a tendency among educators to say, all students are going to take advantage of this and they're going Mm -hmm. to. I've never, I've been teaching for, I don't know, over 10 years. I've never had a student take advantage of it or even give me the sense that they were taking advantage of it. On the contrary, when I say, well, do you want to take an extension? They have like a little bit of anxiety. No, 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 I'm going to fall behind this one. So talking about when life happens, flexibility, it doesn't mean the students are going to take advantage or take you up on it, but they know that there is that comfort. Mm. So um, in addition to that, I am really, before COVID, I'm really um, intentional to center social and emotional and mental health. So one exercise or one, one practice I do is that during the first or the second week of the, of the semester, I just talk very little about social and emotional learning mm. or social creep. Learning is holistic and so on. And I also invite someone from the counseling center, either the counseling center or a therapist or, and I have a conversation with the person and I say things like, so, you know, sometimes I get really triggered. What's going on? Or sometimes I'm sweating and I have anxiety. What's going on? And the person then, you know, well, funny that you ask. I'm so glad. And the person then gives a, you know, a layman explanation of mental health and why like physical health, we need to attend to it. And then I have the student program in their phone numbers. Mm. What do you, who do you text when you have anxiety in the middle of the night? There are free resources. I want to demystify it. I want demystify mental health. I want to also um, destigmatize it. I want to show the students that this is so important. We're going to have a session about this. This is also to preemptively have a plan. 
when things get really tough, they have a plan. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I want to say about all of these things is it—it it is, there's a lot that the faculty member is doing. You know, they're doing their lesson plans, they're doing their lectures, they're doing their grading, and also they're doing these emotional giving. And so it's a lot of work. And what I have experienced is that it gives back. What do I mean by that? When you look and you see uh, your students feel safe, connected, they're laughing, they're engaged, they're you look at it and you say, oh, this is all worth it. It's, 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 I am, I am part of like a tiny ripple effect that is going to hopefully make an impact. Mm. I love that ripple effect comment as well, because it ties everything together, which you mentioned and just the, um, the back and forth that can come from that as well. It makes me think also what you talked about, how those things can be have a sense of healing for you as well in, in your own process yeah. and for us as instructors. And it's really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I grew up in a tradition. My grandma used to use a lot of poetry and I grew up in her saying that we are each other's mirror. Mm. And the state of the students wellness and the faculty wellness, you could, they're 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 very similar Mm. there's pain and anxiety and and even even in some cases romanticizing despair and yet so I could look at the student and see and you know my own reflection and yet I could use the power of the mirror neuron to shift that Mm -hmm. right gives back to me yeah yeah definitely powerful and i love that you tied the neuroscience back in too (laughs) one question which i've had and i don't know how much of this is in the field which you started to touch on all the importance at the level of the student but just you know talking to you know thinking about my own kids talking to colleagues and their kids and thinking about all the way through college just outside thinking about all the stressors that the teachers and the instructors are going through. And sometimes, again, this is all speculation anecdotal, but thinking that even those individuals seem to be operating in a way where the stress is also affecting them and how they mm-hmm. interact in the classroom. And sometimes negatively without maybe not necessarily people being aware of it. So I wonder, you know, even as you were talking about mirroring, are there ways that some of that awareness can also happen for instructors and for teachers to be able to have some of that self-awareness, think about how it's also impacting how they approach their students in the classroom, even as they're trying to be attentive to the students as well. Obviously, that's a lot to think about in terms of cognitive load and emotional bandwidth. Well, I'm curious if yeah. that comes into play in your work. Absolutely. I mean, secondary traumatic stress is real. We have a lot of a lot of the literature. Um, comes from the um, from healthcare workers and um, um, volunteers that work with refugees and immigrants. And again, because we're so empathic, we we are like a sponge, and mm. so we pick people's um, 
stress and distress and and also the the the, the helplessness feeling that oh I want to help the student but I can't and then it just it wears heavy on mm-hmm. our hearts and in addition we might be having our own mm-hmm. independent so they accumulate and then it impacts as you said how we show up and so I tell my colleagues I say do this experiment. Actually, don't do it. I mean, I, I don't advocate it, but go to the class sleep deprived and see how much patience you have. And then ask the students, was I different? Of course. In fact, my students know when I'm having a, a difficult day, no matter how much I work to mask it. So what that means is that, you know, this whole notion of self-care is not just, um, it's, it's a necessity. If I am going to want to continue to give and support and show up holistically for my students, I have to pause. I have to pause and take care and replenish, however that is for, for, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important. And I imagine that self, um, that sleep deprivation experiment has happened on several occasions. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I am. I, I, I tend to, if I'm sleep deprived and I show up to class and, um, and I actually, it happened. It it was so, is perfect the way it happened that I actually paused and I let the students see what was happening. Mm. I they can ask me the same question three, four, seven times, and I just repeat it and I make a um, you know, lighthearted comments of it. It was a day I was sleep deprived, and they asked the same question, and the, by the third time they asked it, I had this, what are you kidding me? And 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 I felt it, and then I let the students look at what was going on. Mm. So um, it is it is important that we pay attention to how the educators are and to empower them to take care of their own well-being, to replenish. And also parents, um, when I speak with my family members, I say, what are you doing to take care of you? So they could continue to help their kids. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's so important mm-hmm. and encouraging this to hear how you incorporate it on both sides, um, which again, makes me just think about even all of the different things that you're doing and just, I mean, in terms of the research, the teaching, helping your colleagues, informing your colleagues, helping your students. And so I can imagine, I mean, what are some of your own practices if, if you're willing to share just with everything? Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of empathy that comes with that too. And it seems that it would be very easy for you to be carrying a lot. I mean, I know I can say that from my own experience too in a different space, but as, you know, talking with our BIPOC students and faculty, sometimes all that weight can sit if there's not ways to at least process and manage that before the next event or the next mentoring session or the next teaching session. So I'm just curious for you, how how do you go about that on a day-to-day basis? So I, um, I can't regulate what I don't know. And so the self-awareness is so important, mm-hmm. tuning in. And um, 
I started paying attention to, I, I know where the pain shows up. And when I have not, or when I feel I'm just really um, tense, it's an indication because I documented it. I wanted to, if there is an indication that I am just going, 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 no pausing, no pausing, no processing, no replenishing. And, and then I just, I mean, it's really interesting. I think, let me just go one more day. I'll take time this weekend or the next weekend. And, and it reaches a point where for me, my body says, you're not going to stop. I'm going to make you stop. Mm. Okay. And it shows up in the form of really migraine headaches or tension headache or this or that, where I'm no longer effective. doesn't mm. matter how much. I'm so what I, what I started doing, I, have to hold myself accountable and so I have a group of friends family members that they check up with me we check up on each other and we feel comfortable saying um have been doing too much or what are you doing to take care of yourself and and they can tell when I when I'm when I'm not answering um fully um I also learned what helped me, what helps me replenish. And for me, it's disconnecting and it could be for half an hour only. Mm -hmm. I remember a mentor saying to me, take five minutes. And initially I thought five minutes, what is five minutes going to do? Five minutes, if it becomes a routine and it's just for you and you're just focusing on focusing on, I don't know, breathing or dancing or something is, is powerful. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, every day in my calendar, I allocate half hour and that half hour, I don't use the phone or the computer, or I just, I do something with nature. Even if it, I was in Detroit visiting my family and it was snowing it was, and it was, and I would practically put every layer I had on so I could go outside just for that half an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was remarkable how much it, it just, it helped me recenter. Um, so I could show up again and, mm -hmm. and go to to offer the space for others to, to work through and move forward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Such an effective practice. And it's also mm -hmm. encouraging that it's full circle because it's the self-awareness that you're also encouraging others to apply in the classroom. So sometimes, yeah. you know, when we are trying to share insights with others, it's difficult to apply it to ourselves. Um, so, mm. and that's also encouraging. I think it's important to um, normalize those practices. So I, not too long ago, I went to visit my doctor. Well, I had a doctor's appointment and um, the doctor actually was coming on her day off, but because I was in, when I, and she said, would it be okay with you if we take three minutes to just do a breathing exercise? And I said, okay, I don't mind. So 
we sat uh, in, in the office and we did a breathing exercise. And later she said, you know, this is more for me. I'm, I'm, I'm having an off day. And I, mm. I just, before I could give, I needed to do this. Wow. It was, it was really, I mean, I was, I felt healed before she talked about my, my, my blood work. I was like, I don't need to know anything. I'm, I feel good. Mm. <laughs> no. Wow. That's so, so powerful and encouraging. I mean, to, I've never had that type of experience in a doctor's office, mm. but it goes yeah. such a long way and it, it makes it full circle too, because I have had, you know, students who have shared that with me before I share that with other, you know, like you said, if someone comes sleep deprived or there's something going on, they're just not their optimum selves that day. Just for them to hear that from us goes such a long way. And the way you just characterize Esther, I think brought it home in a way that's hard, yeah. hard to sometimes conceptualize when you're the one sharing mm -hmm. those pieces, but just to have, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 I well, also we can continue do to learn from each other. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I do an exercise with students. Um, it's called a silent visit with yourself. And so I talk with them about um, the, just the nervous system and how the nervous system sometimes goes into autopilot. And so work, school, and then, you know, class, class, class. And so what I do really, it's a one minute exercise at the beginning of the class. And I say, Take a minute to just pause and remind yourself why being here today is important for you. And so, you know, students, they sit, sometimes they close their eyes, sometimes, but they're, they're there, they're present, the whole thing is about. And I had to miss class one time. And I told the students, there's going to be uh, a, someone who will cover for me and so on. And the students were not concerned that I was going to miss class. They were concerned with, what about the one moment? Is the, can we still do the one moment? And I was so touched that they, that was so important for them. And later on, I asked them to give feedback and they said it really helped them. There's something about talking with their brain, negotiating with the brain that helped them focus on the what's to come so yeah yeah that's that's really encouraging to hear and it seemed like the practice it stuck mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was good in a way maybe it was good for them to be able to have you gone to say okay well we can also incorporate this ourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. even without yeah. even without you around which i guess is a, as a me measure of success for you as well to really have it integrated yeah mm -hmm. Well, this has been so refreshing in a lot of ways, maybe in some surprising ways, you know, if people were tuning in and thinking about trauma-informed teaching, not necessarily expecting to have a sense of uh, refreshing aspects in it with some of these practices, but I think there's, there's so many things that are full circle, things that we can learn from our students and that can be vice versa to really kind of help us all be in a better place um, holistically. So again, that really ties into what we do on the podcast. I appreciate you being here to share that, but did also want to close. And I know you talk about hope in your work a lot too. Just having you share what gives you hope in the work that you do. And even as we continue to move forward. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's a brilliant question. I would say young people give me hope. 
um, the students their um, their desire to learn, their desire to do right by by their fellow students, their um, honesty and compassion. For me, I've I've I talk about the classroom as a sanctuary, and it has sanctuary for me. And the 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 kindness and the um, grace my students have have just given me over the years that gives me a lot of hope. Um, people are resilient. We are resilient. We Rumi says you are not a drop in the ocean. You're the entire ocean in a drop. And we all are that. And we um, sometimes lose touch with that. And it's the community, the our fellow human beings that, that remind us of, wait a second, I, I, um, I do matter and you do matter. And so, and we move forward. So there's a lot to, um, to sure, there's a lot of pain and 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 trauma and anxiety, and I will never undermine it. And grief and sorrow, and at the same time, there are pockets of of remarkable beauty and love, and and those give me hope. Mm-hmm. So well said, and in a lot of ways ties back to community as well. I mean just to be in a community, to be able to engage and, and have that sense of hope as you see the students' passions and enthusiasm and as you see their resilience. So a lot of ways that's that's really encouraging to hear while acknowledging the realities as well. So. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, thank you again for being here on the Addy Hour, a very rich uh, conversation, which doesn't surprise me in the least and just grateful for the work that you continue to do and just for the impact that you're making. I know the ripples are continuing and they'll continue for quite a while. And I'm excited to see how things continue to move forward for you in so many important ways. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do for advocating for mental health. And and I'm I'm really grateful to have spent this past hour with you Likewise. and your audience. Likewise. Thank you. So encouraging. Thanks so much. <laughs>